That's a great clip, isn't it? From Imagine That. It's a story of an executive who really needs to reconnect with his daughter, and it's when uh, his career takes a turn for the worst, when his, uh, actually his, his whole life's in danger. He starts prioritizing his life because he was spending more time with his Blackberry than with his seven-year-old daughter. Um, I often wonder what I look like through the eyes of my kids, usually like this. It's important stuff, or it's my game on my iPhone, whatever it is. But we need to savor those moments with our children. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome to Highlands. If you are a guest, maybe the first, second, third time, it's really a pleasure to have you here. And if you're listening to the sermon through our media page on the website, we're really, really happy that you're doing that, and we're glad that we can connect with you as well. The clip that we just saw speaks about how we as parents and grandparents have a lot of the best intentions, even some very good goals, but we often miss the whole point of what God has entrusted us to do. Many times it is the simplicity of doing things on a regular basis, even a simple meal that can create and sustain a life change in our kids. Bill Cosby, we're on a series called Parenthood. Bill Cosby, that's a great looking uh, picture there. In his book on fatherhood, how many of you have actually read a little bit of that? Yeah. Okay, every time I ask if you've seen a movie or a book, it's like three people. I'm going to have to start reading what you're reading. But in his book on fatherhood, and you have to hear his voice on this as I'm reading this, he said this, so you've decided to have a child. You've decided to give up quiet evenings with good books and lazy weekends, with good music, intimate meals where you can actually finish a whole sentence, sweet private times when you can savor the thought of just the two of you. You've decided to turn your sofas into trampolines (laughs) and to abandon the joys of contemplating reproductions of great art for the joys of contemplating reproductions of yourself. And he asks, why? Why have we done this? And he quotes the poets who said that the reason why we want to have children is that we might have immortality. And I must admit, he says, I did ask God to give me a son because I wanted someone to carry my name. Well, God did just that, and I now confess that there have been many times that when I have told my son not to reveal who he really was. (laughs) Make up a name when they ask you who you are, boy. The poet said, immortality, now that I have had five children, my only hope is that they are all out of the house before I die. (laughs) That's Bill Cosby. And the whole point of the Cosby show was what? Get those kids out of my house. That's actually my my daughter's. I have a daughter who's 13, another daughter who's going to be 11 very soon. And, and then two boys, four years old and two years old. But my daughters, that's actually their favorite show on television, is the Cosby Show. Isn't that interesting? And Earl, that is a pretty wealthy man from the 17th century, said this, When I got married, I had six theories about bringing up children. Now I have six children, and I have no theory. Let me ask you a question, whether or not you have a theory or have several theories. Maybe you're, you're quite an expert on parenting because you've parented a long time. Maybe, maybe you actually taught a class or went to a class on parenting. But let me ask you a question. 
What is the goal of parenting? What's the goal? When do you know that you're on the right track? Even if you mess up at times. When do you know that you're actually aiming for the goal? If someone asks you, what is, the, what is your role as a parent? Or what is the end goal of, of actually parenting, having kids? You know, you might get a lot of answers, right? Uh, some people might say, well, to make them feel loved. Nothing wrong with that. Our children need to feel loved from their perspective. They need to know that they are loved. How about this? Uh, make sure they're comfortable at all times. Make sure they're happy at all times. A happy meal. I love that. Happy meal. What is it with a happy meal that makes kids go crazy? I don't have, I don't have any idea about that. Others might say it's to give them more than what we had. That the role of parenting, the goal of parenting is make sure they go further and farther than you ever did. But I want to challenge these today. I don't think that that is, any of those are the goal. Nothing wrong with any of them, but I don't think that is the biblical vision of parenting. I want you to think of a child like wet cement. It's setting very quickly. It's a matter of time before they are set in their ways. It is said by the time that a child reaches the age of 11 or 12, even right before adolescence, they are pretty much set in their ways. And that's kind of scary because my daughter's 13. And I'm looking at her going, now that's who you are, huh? <laughs> and I, I can't imagine what my mother looked at when she saw me at 13. But I don't think comfort, happiness, and success are actually the measuring rod that God wants to measure how well we are doing as parents. The Bible doesn't have a whole lot of advice for parents. Not, and when I say advice, I mean a lot of how-tos. It's kind of silent about the how-tos because parenting might work a certain way in someone's house, but you can't just copy what other people do, right? Right? You have to alter and tailor it for yourself. But the Bible is very clear that as parents and grandparents, we are the primary educators. We are the ones to have the greatest influence in our children's life. And I find this to be true even when we've had an absent parent. That even in, our, even in parents being absent, they still have an enormous influence. You know what I'm talking about. I think there are many parents who would see these key words that I'm about to say as having indicators of successful parenting. How about this? Some parents think that if they have a talented kid, maybe in, in sports or maybe they're in their smarts or maybe in their music, whatever, if they're talented and they kind of cultivate that talent, then they're doing their role as a parent. How about this? The upwardly mobile kid. The children should make more, have more, and be more than I am. How about this? Just plain good looking. If my child is good looking, I've done my job. They may not be smart, but boy, they look good. You know, uh, braces are wonderful. My, my two girls are on, you know, they're going to get some soon. Cool shoes, you know, uh, wearing the latest fashion, you know, Hollister, Abercrombie & Fitch, uh, I wore the blue light special growing up, man. I don't know what this Hollister all about. I don't know what, that's, what that is. How about this? Our kids should be comfortable. I heard, I, heard, I heard a moan over here. 
Like, oh, yeah. We've arrived as parents if they have an easier life. That's not really realistic, is it? Of course we should comfort our children when they're sick. Of course we should comfort them. They should live in a kind of comfort. But really they have to learn sooner or later. They are not the center of the universe. How about this? If my child is independent, and that was Bill Cosby's whole goal. Independent, you don't need to sleep in my house. You can sleep in your own house, have your own money, then I've arrived. But really that's not the goal either. Because our kids arrive completely helpless, right? Completely and utterly dependent. Often a picture of what I see as conversion when we become sons and daughters of God. We need to understand that we are completely and utterly dependent on God. But we move from utter dependence to kind of learning how to do things on our own And usually what we grasp for as adolescents is what? Complete and utter independence, right? But as parents, we're to help them to say that that doesn't work as well as you think it will. You need to be interdependent. You need to be there for others, and you need others to be there for you. How about the self-confident child? If we think that if we just have a a confident child, someone who can stand on their own two feet, someone who knows what to say, and they can say at the end of their life, I did it my way. There goes my bulletin. Just like Frank Sinatra. If if they can just say, I did it my way, then we've arrived. I I don't really think these are actually getting to the heart of parenting. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with any one of these in particular, but I do not think that they are the goal. Would you agree with me? I think if at best, if you're here and you actually could catch maybe an utter undercurrent of a goal that and I kind of hit on, I want to see if we can modify that goal together. Children are entrusted to us by God for a short time. And boy, does that time fly by. Everything we do should be to direct them to the heart of God. And that is not only through saying the right things at the right time, but actually when we do things in the wrong way, the wrong attitude, at the wrong time, we admit when we've messed up. You know, it's interesting. I don't remember all the wonderful things my mother told me, but I do remember when she said, I'm sorry. I do remember those times because I think what our kids really respect is not, not so much a know-it-all parent or always right parent, but a parent that says, I care for you enough that I'm going to admit when I'm wrong. I think the, the goal of parenting is to encourage our children to know God to ultimately trust God, to, to create a kind of atmosphere where it's safe to be who they really are and to be open to what God has for their life. We should want our kids to be holy, not just happy. Uh, We should want our kids to be God-dependent, not simply self-dependent. We should want our kids to be secure in God's love for them, not just simply secure in our love or even in financial terms. At the end of the day, I don't think God is going to ask us about how talented our children are, 
about their GPA, what they wore, how much money they made, how many touchdowns, goals, base hits. God wants what I think we should want, to foster in our children a listening ear to God's word. You know how that happens? That happens in my own life. For me to teach my child how to have a listening ear is to first model it to them. Do you know what I mean? What did you say? I'm, I'm looking at you. Okay, all right. Let me turn this off. Okay, let me put this down. Okay. What did you say? I'm right here. What do you got? My, my, my daughter, uh, actually all my children know when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm kind of like listening, but I'm really not listening. You ever do that? Well, we're busy, you know. Cooking this or you know washing that, and my wife knows how to wash the wash the things that she just used making dinner, make dinner, vacuum. I think she's vacuuming with one foot or whatever, and she's doing something else, and can listen to what I'm saying and what the other children are saying. I have no idea how she does that. I can do one thing at a time. Dad, I have a question about homework. I'm flipping this tri tip right here. Hold on, give me a second right here. I. Okay, what was that? (laughs) God wants us to foster in our children a humble dependence upon him through Jesus. To follow God even through our doubts and questions. To embrace what they were really created for. I want you to look at the scripture today, Psalm 78. And this whole psalm, It's a huge psalm, but it it, it starts off like a wisdom, and that's like a a wise saying. It's, It's someone who is asking us to listen and to open our hearts, and it has a message really for parents, and it says this, verses 1 through 8, I'm going to read, and it's in your smallatin, I mean bulletin. Oh, my people. Hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. Now, Jesus used parables all the time. What's a parable? A parable is a story that has a meaning. It is like a window. A parable is like a window. That is, the point of the window is not to look at the window. It's to look through the window. And if you look at the window, you actually will see yourself. So the point of a parable is to see through to get one point. Get one point. Jesus told parables for one point. To look through them, but also when you look at the parable, it shows you where you are. Does that make sense? So that the psalmist says, listen up, I'm going to teach you one of these. I'm going to utter things, things from of old what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. The psalmist is not interested in the latest fad or in the latest theory. Here's what I'm going to pass down to you, what has been passed down for generations. We will not hide them from their children. Notice it doesn't say we will not hide them from our children. The psalmist understands that you are in a chain. If you've had a parent, and everyone here has has had parents, I'm safe about that. I don't think there's anyone cloned in here. Even if you were cloned. Okay, let's not go into that. 
We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel. Usually the Psalms, what they'll do is they'll say a line and then they'll reiterate and and even unpack what they have just said. So he he decreed statutes for Jacob. That is another way of saying Israel. But when you say Jacob, Jacob means the one who is wandering and doesn't really even know who they are. But God changed the name of Jacob to Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them. Here's the goal, that they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Do you see the goal of parenting? According to Psalm 78, is not to be a perfect parent. It's not to have perfect children. It is to teach them in humility the praiseworthy deeds of God, what God has already done, what God is doing now, what God will do in their future, to identify yourself as part of the chain of faith. This long chain of faith. You are the link between the previous generation and the next generation. And unless you teach and model and forgive and inspire and motivate, who will? There will be a broken chain. And God's high calling for us is that we do simply this, to model and teach so that our children can teach their children. I think that's the goal. See, that's the goal. Not that my kids are all dressed up nicely and they behave when I'm around, you know. I think that's the, usually what I want to do is, you better behave. When we go to the, re- you, mm, when we go to the restaurant, you're going to behave. You're not going to do this. You're not, it's okay to give a heads up to your kids. When we go to such and such house, right before you walk in the door, do not do this and do not do this and you will be in trouble if you do this. But guess what? We're going to have a good time. Okay, let's go inside. <laughs> in other words, don't make me look bad. Do not embarrass me. The goal of parenting is not simply to, be, to avoid embarrassment or for them to behave simply in my presence. Is it me or in the church? We see a lot of kids who know a lot of things, but as soon as they leave the house, Lord have mercy. I, I grew up with kids. I went, to, I went to Christian school, I think, every day of my life. I went to a Baptist elementary school, kindergarten and eighth grade. Wonderful school. Wonderful. They had chapel every week. We had a Bible verse every week that I had to memorize. I knew the scriptures. Everyone in my class did the same thing. Went to Catholic high school. Uh, I learned a lot of things. But if I look at all my friends, even when you're in a Christian school, it doesn't mean it's going to stick, does it? And I, and I notice that the ones who actually are keeping the faith or are at least identifying themselves, as, as Caleb said, mentioned in the song, says, empty-handed but yet alive in your hands. The ones who, are, who, who identify with that are the ones who had parents who were humble, admitted when they were wrong, not shoving kids off to think, oh, you teach them, you guide them.
If you're here today and you say, you know, I'm, I, my kids are out of the house. Or I want my kids out of the house. Or I haven't had any kids yet. This message still applies to all of us because either you will become a parent or you know someone who is a parent. And here's the, th- here's the thing. If, there is a, if your chain has been broken, God can fix broken chains. You say, but I've wasted years of my life. I, I didn't do this and I didn't do that. God can redeem what's been lost. He buys back what's been lost. The goal of parenting is to see our children trust in the Lord. The goal that I have as a parent is for my kids to love the Lord so much, I don't need to be there when they're tempted. I don't even need to be in the same state. How do you do that? I'm right there with you. I wish I could sit down with you right here. Okay, all right. All right, break it down, please. Break it down. (laughs) Break it down, man. Show me. I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. Here's, Here's one thing you can do. One thing. One of the goals that my wife and I had was eating together as a family at the table as many times a week as possible. And the reasons for doing this are many. Wouldn't you agree? Usually if we eat at home, typically, they're a little healthier, right? Amen, someone said. Meals at home are usually a little bit nourishing, healthier. We can save money. We can spend time together as a family. It's at the dinner table where we can teach and model what it is to have good table manners. My wife taught me. She said, hey, listen, don't expect them to behave in the restaurant if they do that at home. Oh, my goodness. Where's my wife right now? She can preach this sermon. She's right. If you let them slide at home, why are you getting all bent out of shape at, the, at Chili's? <laughs> now, now you know where I like to eat. Okay. And let's not forget that by eating together, we can help expand their world one bite at a time. It takes eight to ten times for a child to taste something and to actually find out if they really want it. Eight to ten times. So be patient. But did you know that studies have found that kids who eat with their families not only get better grades in school and have a more positive attitude about their future, but they are less likely to get involved with underage drinking, taking illegal drugs, or even smoking. In fact, the Columbia University study found that teens who only eat dinner with their families twice a week or less are three times as likely to try marijuana, two and a half times more likely to smoke cigarettes, one and a half times as likely to try alcohol. So these are things I didn't even know when when we wanted to have dinner with our family. I didn't know these stats. Back then, all I knew was I needed to go deeper with my family, and I didn't know how. I thought I had to have this wonderful Bible lesson every night. Sit down, kids. Let me break it down for you. Yes, Father, Pastor, give us the words. Uh, You know what? I'm just as susceptible as the TV being left on. In the first years of my marriage, that's what we did. We we ate dinner together, but the TV was on. Why? Because the Lakers were playing, okay? (laughs) 
I, I can't, I, that's where I really know how to multitask. Put the food in your mouth and look at the TV. And can you pass me that? That's where I'm good at multitasking. But you know what? I heard about a family in a sermon that my, my pastor and mentor preached one time. He had, he had some friends that they did something a little bit different. 30 minutes before and throughout the meal and 30 minutes after the meal, they did not answer the phone. They did not watch TV or the, and they did not surf the net. 30 minutes before and after and through and through. And they would light a candle and say, this is a time of worship as a family. And we're going to listen to each other, even if we're not really particularly interested in that story. <laughs> we're, and we're going to be together, even though it's, you might have a little temper tantrum because of the, you didn't like this or that. But we're going to spend time as a family. And you know what I did after hearing that sermon? You'll be so proud of me. I, I did nothing. Ooh, that's a good-looking family. Oh, yes, that's great. They're crazy. That's what I thought. <laughs> 30 minutes before and after. How am I going to find out what's happening on ESPN? 30 minutes before and after. That, that, that works for them, but not for me. Weeks went by, and it did not leave me. So what I did, this is back in Oxnard, many, many years, a few years ago. Many, many, many years ago. I picked up the TV one day. I didn't even tell my wife what I was doing. What are you doing? I'm picking up the TV. It's heavy. I know. Okay. And I carried it upstairs. And I made a TV den upstairs. And downstairs where our kitchen was and our dining room table and, and the living room area was, that, that, that's just me. I'm not telling you to do that, man, okay? But, and by the way, TVs are a lot lighter these days, Okay best decision I ever did. Best decision. I think we think we have to go to Bible college or go to seminary or know all these things. You know what your kids want? They just want you. And teach them in humility. You don't have to be a know-it-all. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you, you want to use us we open our lives and our hands to you. Lord, bless our families. Bring healing. There's marriages and broken relationships even here, perhaps, Lord. Let truth prevail. Let it be spoken in love. And help us to redeem the time. Help us, Lord. Bless these people. Bless us, God. Help us to get unstuck and to really consider the true goal of parenting. In Jesus' name, amen.